Welcome back to the Romans Empire podcast. You're listening to part two of this week's episode. Um, if you guys skipped out on part one, make sure you go check it out. It, uh, we talk a little bit about the first leg of Dynamo Kiev, and we break down all the controversy and different conundrums, if you will, that uh, happened during and after the match against Wolverhampton. So make sure you go check it out. It's really good stuff. Um, and yeah, let, let's just get right into part two, Andres. So um, I wanted to start this episode with Twitter questions and different Chelsea news that happened in the last week because, or Chelsea related news that happened in the last week because I feel like these are very, very important. And, and as a club at this point in time, I think it's in, important to address the fans' concerns as well as the possibility of um, losing one of our best players this summer. So the worst possible news that can happen happened. Real Madrid brought Zinedine Zidane back. Um, why Zidane took arguably the most difficult job in world football in the last 10 years is because I don't know. <laughs> I really thought like, like this is the thing when, when names were getting linked with him, like Juventus, uh, I, I was thinking to myself, like, okay, that makes sense. He knows how to get the best out of Ronaldo. Guys like Dybala are going to be beaming from ear to ear at the fact that they're going to be playing under a guy like Zizou. He's a legend at Juve. It just made sense. There's a squad there that he can get something out of short term. And Zizou's a short term manager. He, he's the type of manager that comes in, takes a squad that already has a ridiculously talented, uh, that, that, that has a ridiculous base of talent, and propels them to the next level. And I made the argument over and over again on our podcast that the Zidane to Chelsea rumors were bullshit because he wants nothing to do with rebuilding a club from the ground up. <laughs> and what does he do? He takes his old job that is arguably more difficult than the Chelsea job. Um, so, I mean, I guess what does this mean for Eden Hazard? Because he's spoken before. Zidane is his idol. That's his favorite player when he was growing up. When Zidane was manager last season, Hazard talked about how much he would love to play for him one day. Um, he's been tipped as the future Galactico. Andres, what's your gut feeling? I think this is the cherry on top to sealing the deal and Eden Hazard leaving Chelsea in the summer. It's I've been thinking it's going to happen, even with transfer ban coming and all that. I thought it was an outside looking in chance of him staying. I think Zidane returning to Madrid is just like the icing on top, whatever the saying is. It, it's just, this is it. He loves Zidane. He loves Madrid. It's it's happening. Um, you mentioned why would Zidane come back? Well, I think he left in a very smart moment. He knew that Florentino Perez was not going to bring him the players he wanted, which we knew he wanted Hazard last summer as well. Um, he knew that CR7 was leaving. And he knew the issues that the current squad had. So what did he do? He walked away, got to be on vacation for a while. Got yeah, to he see, went to Dubai. <laughs> yeah, he got to see Real Madrid plunder just like he thought he, they would. He now gets to come back a hero because regardless of how they do for the remainder of the season, everyone's all the fans are now happy that Zidane is back. He probably can get himself a higher salary because, again, he's he wasn't – urging to come back for the job and now he can be like hey Florentino Perez I told you so here's what I want and here's what we need if we're going to go back and win the Champions League again and 
Um, newspapers recently were linking N'Golo Conte as his number one target, which I'm just going to slap that to the side because I don't think that'll happen. But I'm not, I don't have a doubt in my mind that Eden Hazard is not on that list. And after this season, Ferentino Perez is ready to open up that wallet and spend big because he's not going to go through what happened this past year at Madrid again. And here's the thing. I know, I mean, uh, I'm like his biggest fan in the world, but Eden Hazard, we know the level of talent he has. We know that he has the capability of being this Galactico at Real. And, and, And there's not a doubt in my mind that if he would go there, he would do the complete opposite of Bale and just absolutely tear shit up because he won't be getting kicked every match. He'll be able to run at defenders. He'll be in a lot more 1v1 situations. But is he really the right buy for a club like that right now? I mean, you look at Real. They need a rebuild. It's not a matter of them just adding one or two more pieces to the current side and then being back to top form. Luka Modric is 34 years old. You're not going to be able to rely on him anymore. He hasn't had a great season. Tony Cruz looks god-awful this year. Casemiro is not good enough for Real Madrid. Sergio Ramos is getting up there in age. They don't have a left back at the moment, especially with Marcelo out. Danny Carvajal can't stay healthy. I mean, you look all over this squad and there's problems. Benzema's inconsistent. Bale just hasn't done it. You know, guys like Marco Asensio and Vinicius, you can't throw them directly into the fire right now because they're they're young and they are going to make mistakes and they are going to have dips in form. So is Hazard the right player, someone that's 28 years old? If you're rebuilding a squad, I don't care if you're Real Madrid or you know, PSG or whoever, you're not going to, and PSG proved this, you cannot build a Champions League contender overnight or or in one summer. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, PSG brought in Mbappe and Neymar, and they still couldn't make that shit happen, right? (laughs) And and, and make, make no mistake about it, Real doesn't give a fuck about La Liga. All they care about is Champions League. Like, that's their time to shine. That's when the spotlight is on them when it's a Champions League. So I don't think Hazard's the right player for them. So I'm not as I'm not as uh, concerned as a lot of other Chelsea fans. I, I'm not any more concerned than I was before, I guess is what I'm trying to say, um, b- before Zidane got, got rehired there. Because I just don't think Hazard's the smart move for them. Sure, it'll be a hit, and he'll give them three or four great years because he's 28 years old. He'll probably play like until he's 31, 32 there, and then probably look back because he said he always wanted to finish his career at Lille. So I just don't think it's the right move. I, I really don't. So if anyone from Real is listening, like, trust me, I'm an expert. I know this. Like, I do this for a living. Um, anyways. Uh, I, I guess I, for me it's more of like a – okay, a so – yeah, because here's the thing. Madrid fans, obviously, they're used to signing Galacticos. And they're be like, oh, we'll get Mbappe and Neymar. Let's be real. Those guys, if you get either one of those guys, that's the only thing you're getting in the window. So what better consolation than the player that has one year left in his contract, who is arguably still top five in the world, and, and you sign him. And here's the thing. Right now, Madrid's playing a 4-3-3. And yes, Vinicius was play, or either 3-5-2 or 4-3-3, depending on the injuries. You have Hazard, who you stick on the left side. Vinicius is young enough to now play on the right side, and he's proven that he can cut it in this league. 
Zidane being the manager now means that Isco should get his confidence back and the minutes back. So you can deploy Isco at the number 10. Zidane loves Isco. Yeah. And then, look, you have a bunch of young players. Llorente, I think is his name, who is great at, at, at playing kind of like that box-to-box DM role. If you limit Casemiro to just being a DM in a 4-2-3-1 or, or in a 4-3-3 that's inverted, instead of having a 6, you have a 10. Like, they still have the players. Like, like, don't get me wrong. Like, this isn't the strongest Madrid side, but you can make it work. Just kind of like, just like you can make Conte made Chelsea work and get a, a Premier League. Zidane could do the same. But that's the thing. We we don't know how how much of a tactical wizard Zidane can be. But the, the point I guess I'm trying to make is if, if Madrid go out there and they get Eden Hazard and someone like Mauro Icardi, that that's a good window that they can alter their look a little bit while still keeping their other players. And again, it's, it's that Zidane factor. Like nobody at Madrid, aside from maybe Ramos in this current squad, can look at Zidane and tell him, nah, like th- that's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so, I mean, I guess if you have the opportunity to get a guy like Hazard, you go ahead and you do it. Right. And, and there's, again, Hazard has made it very clear. If Madrid come knocking, I'm going to open that door. So that's my thing. And if and if it's Zidane knocking on that door for Madrid, oh, pff, Hazard will have his bags packed before before that the doorbell like ends ringing. Like it, it's that's my issue there. Like yeah, he 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 doesn't owe Chelsea anything. And and yes, mm-hmm. people are gonna be like, oh, this might taint his his uh, what is it? His reputation as a legend or whatever. But no, it doesn't. Doesn't for I don't, me. Yeah, I don't think it does. Drogba left after winning the Champions League. Like no hard he, feelings. Yeah. Right, no hard feelings. Lampard left, and yeah, it hurt a little bit when he scored against us from City. But Lampard is still a legend. Like Hazard won everything for Chelsea except the Champions League. Everything. And yeah. when you are 28 years old, yes, on on a club that's rebuilding, it doesn't make as much sense. But as a 28 year old player, fully knowing this is your last chance of getting a big contract to the team you want to go to, it just yeah, I, I'm. I guess instead of getting depressed by thinking he's gonna stay, I'm gonna think he's gonna leave and and be pleasantly surprised if he does decide to stay. I mean, that's everybody's my, that's my everybody's, take on that's on on this situation. Everybody's kind of hoping that like you know he pulls a Griezmann and realizes that they're in a transfer ban and you know like he's his loyalties lie with the club. The only way he does that is if Real don't say, hey, come here, you know, like it it just it just doesn't. I don't know. I'm still 50-50 on it, to be honest. But if I had to put money on it, I would guess that he's leaving just because it doesn't look like we're going to get in the top four. Um, and another season without Champions League football. I mean, Hazard is, by a country mile, the best player to ever play in the Europa League, I think. like it, <laughs> I really can't even think of a player that good that played in the Europa League. Um, you know, maybe if there was like... I, I can't even think of one to be completely honest. But um, anyways, um, I do want to talk about this transfer ban. So, um, Andres, do you want to give like a quick overview of, of, of what happened in the past week in regards to the transfer ban? Yeah, so as many of us expected, Chelsea tried appealing to FIFA that or, or wrote to FIFA saying that they're going to appeal to the Court of Arbitration of Sport about the the ban that was imposed on them. And when clubs usually ask for this, FIFA has to do their own investigation, which takes weeks, if not months. 
and then come back and say, okay, because we're investigating, we need to push back the, the transfer ban. And essentially you buy yourself a window of time to, to make the last couple signings before the ban is implemented. Um, in a very unprecedented fashion, because there is record of FIFA doing this before, they responded to Chelsea's appeal in four days and said, nope, your ban still stands for the summer. And it was just a slap to the face to Chelsea because in the past five to ten years, five to eight years, I don't even think it goes further than that, but Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, and Real Madrid all did the exact same thing Chelsea did when imposed a transfer ban, and they all got it pushed one window so that they essentially could buy themselves time, make the signature signings they wanted, and then take the hit. So it's really obnoxious and and Chelsea came out and said it in their statement that they are appalled disappointed they essentially called FIFA out for this kind of setting a new president even though there's for there's past evidence and and I wish Psalm was here because he's the lawyer and all this but essentially there's cases that prove that we should have gotten the the pushback so we don't um Chelsea's still going to appeal to the court of arbitration of sport hoping that their um final sentencing is different so that we can still sign players in the summer but as of today march 11th we have no summer transfer uh no no summer transfer window which means that the only players coming in are pulisic who's already been registered um if we decide to extend him and any of our loanees that we call come back uh that would come back from their loans so long story short yikes yeah, yes, and and it's not just we and we got to look at this in the big picture. And before I rant, cut me off, but we just talked about a second ago, or at least I did in, in part one, about how the way Sari is handling the remainder of this season, fully knowing what's coming in the summer, is really worrying, especially with the latest decision from FIFA to to essentially screw us over in the summer, because. Right now, fatigue is building. Uh, we are not getting results where we should. And this has been kind of an issue throughout the season. He is marginalizing certain players who we are definitely going to need and we definitely need to use moving forward. And he's showing that he's tactically inflexible, specifically going again into a s- summer where we're going to have to work with what we have and most likely are going to have to try a bunch of different things till we get it right. So, but that's the thing is like, and this is what's frustrating is you, I don't care what the club says. There's no way that we weren't aware of what we were doing while we were doing it. Yep. Like with the whole Bertrand Traore thing, we were literally paying for his boarding school before he was 16. You know, like how, how and why, that would be sanctioned is just absolutely beyond me, especially knowing damn well that a club Chelsea's size is going to be under the microscope of FIFA and the FA. Yeah. Yeah. Forget FIFA, just the FA. The the FA has, uh, has always had this, I don't want to say bias, but this agenda against Chelsea. And like, I know it's this huge conspiracy theory, but I mean, come on, we ne- we haven't necessarily been treated the kindest 
in in the kindest of ways from the FA recently. So and and this is just case in point. But that's the thing is we are shooting ourselves in the foot, you know, and and, and the problems just keep piling up. And it's 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 and we talked about it in the first part. It's not just the on-field product. It's the, it's the things that are off the field. Like this whole transfer ban, the big name that's mentioned is Bertrand Troy because he's the most high-profile player that we, you know, uh, obtained illegally, I guess you could say, um, which is all reasoning for the ban. But this isn't, again, this is a guy that came in. He got a shot with the first team. I thought he looked pretty good. And then we sold him to Lyon where he's just absolutely killing it. And we're in need of a striker that can score goals. And he's doing just that over there and keeping guys like Max Cornett like on the bench who is like one of the brighter young French talents. And we are just shooting ourselves in the foot and it's just making everything ten times worse as a Chelsea fan. And sometimes I find it hard to sleep at night. I'm not even going to lie. Um, <laughs> it's it's so sad. It, it really is. It's like it's like a soap opera that's just all unfolding right now. Like we're at the we're at the climax of this of the of you know of of the storyline and from here on out it's either going to be a happy ending with some trials and tribulations along the way or it's just going to complete it's going to nosedive and turn into five six seven years of being absolutely miserable and mediocre um but anyways before i start depressing you guys even more (laughs) um, we do have some questions and this week all questions are from all of our Roman's Empire Ultras. So each one gets an individual shout-out today. Uh, except Chris from Denmark is actually not on here now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> but he hasn't tweeted us in a while. So, dude, what's going on? Um, anyways, at Chelsea Eric tweeted us, um, if you're sorry, what are you prioritizing? Winning Europa or getting top four? I think I think this is, like, the question right now. Definitely. Um, you know, my stance on this, I think that focusing on an elimination tournament is very risky. If we're going to have to like, just choose one and then put a a B or C team on the other. But at this point, man, like we just beat Kiev three nil. So technically going into Thursday, we just need to show up and not suck. Um, (laughs) to, to be honest, and then hope that the other teams that are, are pretty solid can kind of just battle each other out and, and we get an easy run. But, I mean, to we have to – I think I'm, I'm now having to change my mind because we still have to play United and Liverpool. And United is only going to get healthier from where they are right now. Like, yes, they lost to Arsenal 2-0 pretty – like, it was a pretty even match, to be honest, in my head. But Arsenal did – the business and one, but they're going to get their players back. Like I'm sure Lingard or Martial, one of those two guys is going to be back by the time Chelsea play them. Um, we also have to play Liverpool who's only one or two points behind city in the middle of a title race. So at this point, I think we gotta, we gotta pull a man United and, and really go gung ho in the Europa league. I honestly think that's our best chance at getting into the top four. Like I said, I mean, I said this in the first episode, like there's eight matches left. There's 24 points on the board that are still unaccounted for. So, I mean, never say never, right? But just looking at the state of this Chelsea team, and, like, we thought we turned a corner in the last couple weeks, last couple matches, and then we took this huge step backwards against Wolves. I didn't think our performance was terrible. 
I just thought we're not clinical enough. Like there is not enough goals in this side to maintain any sort of sustained success, I guess. Right. Like we can't score consistently enough to go four, five, six games on the spin, just like demolishing opponents like sides like Liverpool and Man City do or recently Man United has been doing up until the Arsenal match. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Europa League is a trophy. And I think any trophy that's available is one worth winning. Um, I know Dan Silver will be really happy I said that because I remember him saying that one time on the Chelsea Fancast where, you know, a trophy is a trophy. Like, I don't care if it's I, – I, I don't care what it's for. Every trophy has value, and it adds to our account. So why not? Um, at Nick Lenartson tweeted at us. This is interesting. So I actually want to break this question down into three three parts. So Let's do it. It said uh, Christensen instead of Luis, RLC instead of Kovacic, Cho instead of Pedro. Hashtag Rep Ultras, Romans Empire Ultras. Shout out to Nick Lenartson for using the hashtag. And I think it was uh, Ron who uh, first started the hashtag revolution. So thanks, Ron. It's, it's starting to – it's infectious now. This is exactly what we wanted. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's start with Christensen instead of Luis. So Andres in 30 seconds or less, tell us who and why. It's time for Christensen to start. I think his last five starts have proven that he's turned a corner in a recent interview. He said that Chelsea reassured him that he has a future here. We're going into a transfer ban. Luis hasn't signed a new contract. Why continue to play the guy who is still, as we saw Sunday, prone to brain farts? over the guy who is probably tactically a little bit more aware and is the future of the club. Boom, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I'm going to agree with you there. I thought David Luiz was doing more offensively than he was defensively last match. Um, And there's just been too many occasions where he's mentally switched off and allowed the opposition to equalize. That tackle on Jota for their goal, Jota was running straight at David Luiz. And if David Luiz was a smart defender at that moment okay at that moment let's not rile ruffle a lot of feathers here he would have brought him down i would have wrapped my arm around him i would have clotheslined him i would have had to do whatever you have to do to make sure jota is not getting past you because you're always going to favor jimenez in a foot race with anybody in our back four right he's a he's an athletic striker instead he does this thing where like he like closes his legs together as if he doesn't want to get megged, and then Jota just skips right by him and plays Jimenez through. It, it was just at it was at that moment where I was like, "Good God, we really need Christensen." Because the last couple of matches we saw Christensen, how many brilliant blocks did he make? The guy throws his body in front of the ball, very Cahill-esque. Um, so, anyways, yeah, Christensen instead of Louise, I think we agree on that. RLC instead of Kovacic. Thirty yeah, seconds. <laughs> Do it. Are you healthy? It, that's literally the the process. The only is RLC healthy? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Start him. That's yep. it. Wow. Five seconds or less. I like it. I agree. I'm not even going to argue with that. Callum Hudson Odoi instead of Pedro. Okay. So this one is is a little bit more thought provoking. I think that in a game that we should win, in a game that we are by far the better opponent, put Callum Hudson Odoi in because we know that they're going to just sit back and defend and not do anything. So his lack of whatever it is that the defensive phase may mean to Sari doesn't matter. It, it doesn't, especially with Aspilicueta behind him, who doesn't even come up and overlap anyway. So, yeah, 
start showing those games against the mid-table sides, the lower-table sides, even Europa League. But when we play the Man Cities, the Liverpools, and and Man United, where we need that extra help tracking back, start Pedro. Yeah, I think against any of the big six, we need to start Pedro, just because what he brings us defensively and, and, and his awareness defensively. You know, we could sit in and rely on Pedro to be our right winger. Um, but against the teams where we're just trying to go at it and be a lot more direct, I say Kalamuts and Adoy, especially if there's a weakness in their back line that we could expose with his pace. I think that's crucial. And we saw it against Wolves. Even though he didn't have the greatest game, he still put his head down and was trying to run past defenders, which we don't have any other winger that's willing to do that. You know, we have we. I think the thing with William Pedro and Hazard is they're quick, but they're not necessarily fast, right? So like the first mm-hmm. five or six yards, they're able to create that separation from their defenders. But it's it's about you know a twenty or thirty yard sprint down the byline to play across it. And I think Callum hudson is by far our fastest player in that respect. And I think we could we could use that more to our advantage. Um, but, of course, he has to get the playing time first. So I think we agree. Christensen over Luis, RLC instead of Kovacic, Cho instead of Pedro under certain conditions. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, oof. This next one's a doozy, Andres. You know why? <laughs> this one's just for you, man. Because at Angry Chelsea Fan is always angry at me but like here's the thing is like i don't hate him and i'm not i'm not gonna like shit on him or anything because like he's actually like i he he makes good points when when he tweets at me and like it's all been banter and like fun and stuff and he keeps listening to our podcast so like there's like no you know it's just like a little healthy healthy uh footballing rivalry me and him have because apparently um I'm the I'm 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 you know a prophet of Jorginho, so I'm just gonna read the question. How about that? Um, he said, "Is Zach gonna find some strange, not warranted reason to offend Jorginho again? Probably has his face on all of his underwear. <laughs> what is more exciting, football? This shit, endless amount of no point passing football, or Conte's defensive football? My vote goes to Conte. Now that, that that's what he said. So." I'm going to start this one off, Andres. <laughs> Angry Chelsea fan, or Seamus, I think his name is. Go ahead, listen to part one of the pod. I uh, I, I actually didn't defend Jorginho's play against Wolves in the last pod, but I defended like you know his stance and his role in the squad. But I'm not the biggest Jorginho fanboy of all time, am I? Um... I feel like we just we under we try we're trying to understand what is it what the expectations of Jorginho on the field are, and I think that there's just a divide in Chelsea fans of what a what a midfielder who is not tasked with attacking should be doing, and Jorginho doesn't yeah. fit that mold. So I think it's yeah. a I think it's a very preference based argument. What do you want at the base of your midfield? And and you can't – there is no planet where Jorginho and Conte are the same midfielder to put in the base in your midfield. And I think that's really the root of the of the debate here. See, I think I think it's different. Like I understand the Conte, the Conte and Jorginho debate because, I mean, Conte is the best defensive midfielder in the world. So 
if we if we move Jorginho tomorrow and he never played the Regista role again and Conte played there, I'm not going to lose any sleep over that because Conte's the best defensive midfielder in the world. Like, I have no reason to. I feel like this argument amongst Chelsea fans gets lost because I feel like the real root of it is not necessarily are you pro or anti-Jorginho. I think it's are you pro attacking football or anti-attacking football. And that makes sense from a Chelsea perspective because we've seen all of our success playing like Wolverhampton did last weekend. How did we win the Champions League? How did we win under Mourinho? How did we win under Conte? We did that. Right. Set up these low blocks, hit team on the counter with you know the brilliance of Hazard, and we actually had a clinical striker. And under Mourinho's second stint, we had two clinical strikers in Costa and Drogba. But I think that's where this. I think that's what the real argument is. I don't necessarily think it's anti or pro Jorginho. It's anti. It's pro or anti attacking football. Anyways, with that being said, I am. If, if, if Sari gets a sack this summer, and we bring in a defensive pragmatic manager that's known for sitting in, like like let's say, I'm not saying it's gonna, it's gonna happen, and I would totally prove <laughs> myself if it did. But like a Diego Simeone type, where it's like, look, I'm gonna come in. We're gonna play this really rigid basic 442 system we're going to put 11 guys behind the ball and we're going to rely on two very special players up top to nick our goals i'm not going to argue with that like that's that's how chelsea got their name so yeah i mean i guess i vote for conte also conte's defensive football also but i am going to use this as a caveat because conte's defensive football also struggled struggled at times to break teams down mm-hmm like like teams would set up low blocks against Conte and we would constantly be bashing guys like Marcus Alonso or uh, William who was playing on the right hand side or uh, like guys like Zapacosta when they would get a run out because oh all of a sudden you know we're not spraying balls in the box we're not giving the you know the, the Costas and the Maratas a chance to get on the end of things right. Right. And, and I say that knowing that they came in, you know, they were on two different teams. But the whole point is Conte's teams had to play against teams with low defensive blocks. And there were times where we couldn't break them down. Case in point, West Bromwich, Albion at the bridge, what was it, two or three seasons ago, where we didn't have a shot on target all game. And Costa chased down uh, one of their center halves, stole the ball from him at the corner flag, and then just yep. fired it into the top corner. And that was it. Game, set, match, 1-0. We walked away late in the game that's the difference though we had a striker that could do that so you know we're not going to see the fruits of this attacking football until we get loftus cheek back back healthy because he completely changes our midfield mm-hmm. dynamic fullbacks that are able to play both sides of the ball and a, and a clinical striker i mean it's just that simple so andres i i know i ranted that was like 30 <laughs> minutes or less the, the question mean, was for you, but but to to answer the second part of this, whether I want the the not the pointless passing or Conte's defensive football, the the thing I, I want to state is like, current it doesn't have to be mutually what is it in, independently exclusive what what's that term I'm looking for but you you can have a defense stable defense and still be you know not completely stupid in the final third like. You you see this with multiple sides like people are gonna hate it, but Liverpool they have the best defense in the league, but they're also able to score right. three or four goals a match. And and yes, people might point out the fact that they have Van Dyke, but one defender doesn't make a hole back four. But the point I'm trying to make is 
there is a way of doing both. Cities is pretty decent defensively too. Like, yeah. And that's why I, I guess I always, I've been preaching recently that I want sorry to still pick and choose when to do the high pressing because again, when we tried to do like uh, Seamus at angry Chelsea fans said, do the pointless passing because we were just sitting in their half. Like we're not working to our strength of, of running in behind or, or hitting them when they're not expecting it. We're, we're coming in and, and showing our cards and they're just looking at our hand and being like, okay, this is what we'll do to stop that. So again, we've been looking better recently because we've been more defensively oriented, but because Sari has put a little bit of his style in this team, we can move the ball forward quickly and, and get the goal. So I, I do want to say, which Conte defensive football are you talking about, Seamus? Cause season one, perfect season two, I am not taking another 10% possession season ever again. That that was worse than keeping the ball for 70% of the time in my book. I I do not want to see us walking around the pitch like we did against that Man City side again. Like, I'm sorry, but that's just my preference. I I don't want to see that. Wow, Seamus, you need to start bashing on Andres a little bit more. At (laughs) SSBlues underscore CFC. Um, Anyways, did I get it right? I think I got it right. I, I, I mean, yeah, he Close. feel free. I like the debate. I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that you don't have to go from one end of the spectrum to the complete opposite. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do agree with him, though, that we could have sat back a little bit, which we're better at absorbing the pressure and then attacking. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's much like the way Real Madrid played under, Z, uh, under Zidane when they won the Champions League. is like some matches, they would go out there and they dominate the ball, dominate possession, and just play around the opponent's box, and boom, all of a sudden, Ronaldo gets a tap-in from two yards out. But then there's other games where, like, they sit in and they defend and they defend and they defend, and then they hit teams on the counter. Like, that's why they were that's why that side was so brilliant, is because they were able to, to grind out results in more ways than one, and that's something we're not seeing with this Chelsea team right now. Um, we could only grind out results one way, and that's hoping that the other team doesn't put a central midfielder shadowing Jorginho all match, you know? Um, so at Leonard Cohen asked us, um, and shout out to Leonard Cohen, uh, does Hazard need to go to Spain to fulfill his potential? And is it time for both parties to move on? So I guess we did talk about Hazard a little bit. Um, we mentioned, you know, you guys are listening to the pod, so you know what we talked about, but, I guess, Andres, this is an interesting question because he's asking us to put our Chelsea bias aside yeah, and uh, and to put our logical caps on. And I think I could speak for both of us when I say I think it is time for Hazard to move on um, if you're looking at it through his perspective. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I think it's time for Chelsea to move on also. We cannot expect our best player to stay with us after missing out on a Champions League two, in, two of the last three years and with a transfer ban incoming while he's 28 years old. Um, that means the next time he'll have a genuine shot of winning a trophy with this team or possibly playing with another world-class player would be when he's 30 years old. And I just don't think that it makes sense for him, his family, or his career, um, or even his legacy to not make that move to Real and eventually uh, partner up with Zinedine Zidane. So, yeah, I, I just think it's uh, – I think it's – I, the more I'm speaking out loud about this, the more pessimistic I'm getting about the whole situation. <laughs> I, I was like 50-50, now I'm like 60-40. But uh, no, like I, I just think it's the right time from his perspective. 
Yeah, in terms of him fulfilling his potential, I think it's it's pretty obvious what he can do. I will he get more goals in La Liga? Sure, I'm sure he will. La Liga is a totally different league. Uh, teams tend to not sit back as deep. They try to to still play stylistic football and and try to do their thing. So he will have a lot more space to dribble onto, shoot onto, and 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 the the level of competition outside of the top three does or the top four because I, I do want to respect Sevilla does take a, a, a dip um so will he's his numbers be better sure I'm sure they would be but in terms of fulfilling his potential I mean he's already top five in my book in terms of current players so I don't I don't see him yeah. getting way better and in terms of moving on I mean it, it just depends on on what Hazard wants to do with the remainder of his career he he says his family's happy here uh, Drogba recently came out and said that, you know, he can immortalize himself if he stays and everything's good here. And, you know, you also hear quotes of people saying like the Madrid fans would tear him apart the moment that he messes up. So it just depends yeah. on on what kind of final five years Hazard is looking at. Does he want to be in a place where it is still the Hazard show or does he want to go to a place where the pressure is going to be mounting? He isn't anybody to them besides a new pretty toy so it it just really depends on what he wants I still think he is gonna go to Madrid but he he hasn't really given us any idea of what he wants to do if he really wanted to stay I feel like he would have signed a contract by now especially with a transfer ban coming just to be like hey guys we I'm still gonna be here we're gonna do this together let's get this shit done like that would have been this that would be the perfect right now for this season to try to like get all our hopes going again much like how Madrid got Zidane back to rescue their season if Hazard were to put pen to paper right now I'd be like oh yeah legend but because he has it I think he's gone yeah I think so too um our last Twitter question before we get into the Everton preview and the Kiev preview but um Ron aka Bone Daddy but I like to call him Ron. I think that has a better ring to it. <laughs> um, being that it's King DDA Drogba's birthday today, my favorite Chelsea player ever, and that's what Ron says, and I agree with you, Ron. He is my favorite Chelsea player ever as well. What is your favorite Drogba memory from his time with us? Figured we could use some positivity. Hashtag Rep Ultra. Oh, I mean, yeah, let's let's end this section with positivity because everything we've been saying has been fairly negative. So, um, Andres we all know that the Champions League is everybody's, uh, the, the Champions right. League finals, everybody's favorite Drogba memory of all time. But besides that, what is your favorite Drogba memory? Um, I have two. And the first one is just kind of like the kind of person that Drogba was. And it was essentially when he, after that disgraceful Barcelona elimination game where he yelled at the camera and he had to be like pulled back saying, this is a fucking disgrace. Like, that game, I was just like, oh, man, Drogba is the absolute man. But one thing that, that really hit home was Drogba left after winning the Champions League. He came back during the 14-15 season, and after we clinched the title, I can't remember if it was the game we clinched it against Palace or the very last game of the season. He was subbed off. and Last game of the season. Yeah, everybody yeah. stormed. Like, every player in the pitch, like, stormed over to him, picked him up, and carried him off the pitch, like, that makes your heart just freaking swell up, man. Like that one for me was just like, he deserves that. Like just so justified. 
it came so natural like nobody he didn't ask for it people just did it and that was just the kind of person he was like that kind of personality just a leader um magnetizing personality you just want to be around the guy so that was that's probably my favorite non-champions league uh drogma moment yeah i think mine it's a cup final the the fa cup final so Drogba one of his favorites like, it, it's literally his favorite match to play in i think um but the 2012 fa cup final where it was 2-1 chelsea ramirez scored the opening goal and then uh, Drogba scored the second with his left, just tucked it into the right hand, uh, uh, into the right corner. And that was actually the game Andy Carroll wishes that goal line technology existed a few years earlier than it did. Um, <laughs> like, I, I remember seeing that and being like, oh, my God, we got so lucky. I still to this day think it was actually <laughs> probably a goal. It's still really close to call. But that for me was my favorite Drogba memory because – I remember going into that match thinking to myself, like, and, and, and let's not forget, like, this is this is before the Champions League final. So we're all thinking to ourselves, like, shit, we're having a very subpar season. <laughs> Squad doesn't look very strong. But again, you could rely on guys like Drogba to provide the goods in the big matches. And I guess when you think about his legacy as a Chelsea legend, and, and, and they call him the king of Stamford Bridge, like, he really is the king of Stamford Bridge. He is the king of Chelsea Football Club because what he's done for us, he has given us more than we could have ever, ever asked for. If he missed that pen against Bayern in the in, in the Champions League final, I still wouldn't feel any different about him. But just the fact that he got us the penalties in that game was just absolutely ridiculous. And and I actually saw the goal today when I was scrolling through my Twitter feed because you know everybody's giving Drogba love. And, you know, you, you see the replay, and for me, I see, probably see it, like, two or three times a week. <laughs> but, like, wh- where he makes contact with the ball and where the ball actually goes in is just ridiculous. Like, Drogba ran away from the goal and found a way to manipulate that ball by snapping his neck and hitting it right into the top corner and like if you look at the goal from an aerial view Drogba is maybe four or five yards in front of the goal post if you were standing at the penalty spot in front of the front post like he was he had to run to that ball and header it at a just ridiculous angle the guy's a legend I fucking love him and I have his poster hanging up in my room I'm 24 years old I still have his poster up there he's the only male athlete whose poster I still have up besides Kobe Bryant so, like, those two guys are just forever, like, oh, God, they're the best humans to ever grace this planet or breathe air in general. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I mean, let, let, let's get into these match previews really quick. We are running low on time. So, Chelsea versus Kiev, 3-0 up. Um, we're going um, to the Ukraine to play this match. I feel like that's our only real threat to, to struggle would be the flight and the weather. But uh, Andres, I mean, do you have any bold predictions, or do you think it's going to be business as usual? We might concede a goal, and we'll go through. Uh, yeah, I think it should be business as usual. What I want to see is our key players not being part of that flight. That is my main concern. Like you said, traveling yeah. it might be an issue. We have one more Premier League game before the international break, I think, and it's obviously a must-win. So I don't want to see Hazard on that plane. Too, yeah. yeah, I don't want to see Hazard on that plane. I know... Conte will probably be on there just because 
our midfield is still kind of an issue, but he, does, he maybe, never gets fatigued. Right. Maybe maybe seeing a little bit of uh, Ampadu would be nice. Oh, um, and I'm trying to think who else could get a rest. Maybe one of Willian or Pedro stay home as well. Um, just just think that some of those guys, maybe even Jorginho, one of those some of those guys need to stay here. Um, and I would definitely like to see Ampadu play in that game wherever role. Sorry, thanks. But yeah, we're up three nothing. It, it should really be a, like you said, a, a professional showing. We lose one nil or we tie one one, whatever it is. I think we should still get the result. But yeah, that that's where where I'm at for this game. So I think that for sure means that we'll see a midfield three of Barkley, Conte, and Jorginho. Um, <laughs> anyways, I, I I agree with you. I I don't want to see a I don't want to see any of our key guys even getting close to an airplane this week. Um, but yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about Chelsea versus Everton. So we are playing at Goodison Park on Sunday. Everton not in the best place. Um, definitely not in a place they want to be right now. I mean, especially with the money they invested in the squad. They went after um, Marco Silva for a while. Eventually got their man, and he just hasn't been cutting it. They're at 11th in the table on 37 points. Played them earlier in the season. It was nil-nil at the bridge. And uh, Everton's only won one of their last five Premier League matches. So you could take that with a grain of salt because our last five Premier League matches at Goodison Park, we've had a record of two wins, one draw, and two losses. We scored 10 goals and conceded seven. Um, Not the greatest away record, considering that we couldn't even win three out of our (laughs) last five matches there. So, you know... um, they have a manager that's on the hot seat, like I said earlier. He seems pretty wedded to his system, similarly to the way Sari is. So 4-2-3-1 for Marco Silva. He likes to play with Andre Gomez and Idrissa Gay, who is one of the best uh, defensive midfielders in the league, has been for a while. Probably one of the most underrated midfielders in the league, I Definitely. would say. Um, but he does have players that can hurt us. So defensively, you know, they are solid at the back. Um, when they want to be, they got guys like Michael Keane on the left-hand side. They have Lucas Digne, who is he could attack and defend. He could do both sides of the ball. You don't want to give him a free kick. You got guys like Sigurdsson and Richarlison. So I mean, I, you know what? Let's talk about Richarlison and Sigurdsson actually, because I think this is an interesting point. So Richarlison, 11 goals and one assist on a season, and Sigurdsson, 11 goals and three assists on a season. The next closest player has six goals as Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and then the next highest score is actually Lucas Digna, who I mentioned earlier, on three goals. So Richarlison and Sigurdsson, Andres, we know a little bit about them, um, but, but but what danger do they present to us? Um, well, the two things that we are weakest against, counterattacks and set pieces. So they are <laughs> tailor-made to screw us over. With these two guys, um, Richarlison is one of those forwards that's not a target man, but he's not just like a speedster that's underweight. He he can do a little bit of both. Um, I know Completely that fearless, by the way, he's one of those players that just has confidence through the roof. Yeah, that grit. So yeah. he he's he's gonna be a fighter. So again, I really don't want to see a high line of high pressing when he's involved. And then behind him, he's got Gilfie Sigurdsson who. Yes, he is a, a, a set-piece specialist, but if we do give him the space, he will find the pass to find uh, Richarlison on the counter, 
And if that pass doesn't connect and the header comes back to him, the guy's got a crazy long range shot. So those are the two guys, like you said, are the danger men. I, I don't, Andre Gomez has had a good season, but even then I don't think he'll be our biggest kind of like kryptonite. Um, Bernard has just been just kind of there. Same with, I think it's, is it Theo Walcott on the right side? They're just kind of doing yeah. their part, but, but yeah, these two guys are for sure. Arsenal legend Theo Walcott. <laughs> right. Next wonder boy, Theo Walcott. But uh, yeah, the the two main guys are Richarlison, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Digne has got a crazy delivery on, on corners as well. So yeah, it's just for once, make sure that everybody's set up on set pieces because we always like to leak those goals through there. They won't have Zuma. Um, I haven't kept up to see how much he's been playing recently, but he won't be allowed to play against us. So that's but a positive. But but they'll bring in a guy like Gary Mina, who's just as immobile as Gonzalo Higuain, so he'll probably be able to keep up with him. Yeah, and the other <laughs> thing is that Pickford <laughs> Pickford hasn't had a crazy good season, so that's a good yeah. sign for us. So, again, you you saw what the last couple games have been there. We scored 10 and conceded 7. Yeah. At Goodison, it's usually a shootout. So yep. hopefully we have our shooting boots on and, and we can and pull out a, a crazy 3-2 victory or something like that flashback to diego costa just completely dropping tim howard on his ass <laughs> in the 6-3 um we talk about their set piece danger right and i guess this ties into you know what we need to do to win this game is obviously limit their opportunities because if a guy like zuma is not gonna be able to play for them because of the whole low knee policy not being able to play against their parent club they're going to bring in a guy like Gary Mina, who had the most headed goals in the World Cup last uh, last summer. <laughs> so, I mean, the news isn't great on that front. Um, nine of their 41 goals this season came off of set pieces. That's a, that's about 22%. So almost a fourth of their goals. Um, Ding Dan and, Sinner, and, and Sigurdsson, probably the two best dead ball specialists outside the top six. I mean, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find someone as effective as them. I mean, lately, James Ward-Prowse. I, I actually shouted about it the first podcast, which is just, like, odd. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Digna and Sigurdsson, their set-piece deliveries cannot be um, overstated enough. Um, I, they're just absolute quality, uh, especially if the set-piece comes on the right-hand side of our 18-yard box or their right-hand side of our 18-yard box. Because then that's when Digna would come in and just sweep it with his left foot into the top corner, which he's shown a few times this season that he's capable of just an absolute banger. Um, but but we also we need to stop Sigurdsson. And, and Sigurdsson's really – when you look at this squad and you look at the way they're constructed, their whole attack is built around him. You know, he, he, he provides not only a goal threat, but he could, he could also play that killer pass, whether it's a long ball or those quick, short, one-two touch passing – Great late, great at making late runs into the box, Lampard-esque. Um, and he does have that long shot threat like I talked about. So I feel like if we could limit Sigurdsson and force the other players to to beat us, um, that should put us in a position to kill the game off. Um, because, you know, guys like Bernard hasn't even scored yet. Theo Walcott, you know, is just awful now. Um, and then, you know, they don't really have anybody too promising off the bench. Like they have Adamola Lukeman, who is still young and sort of naive. I think, I think the one player that could hurt us off their bench though is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And I think if Marco Silva's smart, he actually starts him in this match. 
probably play him up top and then have uh, or play Richarlison up top and have Calvert-Lewin playing off the right or left-hand side, similar to like what Unai Emery does with Aubameyang, where he gives him uh, a little bit of defensive responsibility because Richarlison is probably not going to do that side of the ball. Um, and then, you know, use his pace to get on the end of, of, of some crosses on the counter. So is there anything else you want to mention, Andres, or, uh, or, or, or are you feeling somewhat confident about this? Um, one thing that I just want to say, because it just seems to be the, the, the way Chelsea plays, is, is that we are – I mentioned this in the group text. We're kind of like Two-Face, the, the bad guy from Batman, where we're either really good or really bad, and I think it comes down to – essentially who scores first so the one thing we just need to make sure that we do is not shoot ourselves like shoot ourselves in the foot and allow them to score early because marco silva will then just park the bus and just like we saw this weekend we will not fare very well there so Mm -hmm. if i bet you if we score first and we score early we can make this turn this game into an ugly game like that seems to be the 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 way we play recently if we can get the goal Everything just happens to click. So I'm hoping that we can, again, don't go out there and press all over. Let's continue doing that kind of smart pressing and then dropping back thing that has worked well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, again, these guys have speedy wingers. They have a Richarlison. We don't want to let one of those guys just find us sleeping and, and, and scoring on us. So. That, that's my biggest takeaway is just if we start well and we can get a quick goal, we can put this game to bed early. Yeah, actually, I agree. It's something that needs to be mentioned, though. You know, the, the, the Everton fans, Evertonians, especially at Goodison Park, in big matches, they are always up for it. I mean, that stadium is going to be rocking, especially a match against Chelsea. Um, and and Everton does tend to pull out performances at home. Um, if they pull out any performances, it's actually at home. Like they they drew nil nil to Liverpool a few weeks ago in, in the Merseyside derby, which is not an easy thing to do at home. Um, there, it, it, it's mainly the fans, right? Like you talked about not conceding first. If we concede first, I feel like the game is over because the second that crowd gets into it. It's it's gonna make our lives extremely difficult, um, and you know even though we're not a even though we're not regular match going fans, and we're just watching it on TV and on on NBC <laughs> Sport or NBC Gold, however way they rip you off nowadays, um, we can hear that we can hear the stadiums, right? And we know like whenever we play Arsenal or Manchester City away, their fans really aren't loud enough to hear on the TV. Right. You know, like like you'll hear a few chants, like if they score or like, you know, if they put pressure on us or whatever. But you never really hear them much. But then you got fans of teams like Crystal Palace is like the first one that comes to my mind. Where like wherever we go to Selhurst Park, I always have to lower the volume on my TV because you could hear the Crystal Palace fans singing the whole entire match all the way through from minute one to minute 90. Same thing with like Wolverhampton's away fans uh, this past weekend. They were ridiculous. You, you, they were louder than all of our home fans. The atmosphere at home just seemed really bad. But I'll stress enough, and I hope Sari realizes this, especially being you know, involved in English football now, there are some fucking loud stadiums. And Goodison <laughs> Park is definitely one of them, and I think we have to be wary of that. So, I mean, I guess with that being said, um, 
two managers facing off against each other. Both of them are in the hot seat, and Marco Silva and uh, Maurizio Sarri. Both of them proved to be pretty stubborn with their systems, which I, th- I think this is more a match of which manager is going to bend first and make the right changes before the other manager catches on. Um, so hopefully that is Maurizio Sarri. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, do you have any predictions, Andres? Uh, 3-2 Chelsea. Ooh, I like that, actually. I'm going to go 3-2 Chelsea as well because, one, we can't defend. And, uh, <laughs> two, when we score goals, we score a lot of them or we either score nothing. So um, I think I, I do think we'll get three goals against us Everton side. I think Eden Hazard's going to continue on with his form so he can impress Real Madrid now that he knows Zidane is back. I think that it's just going to light something up inside of him. And I think Iguain will get will uh, also nick a goal for us as well. Um, but that brings us to the end of this week. Two podcasts. Don't forget, part one, we talked about Wolverhampton. We touched upon Kiev. Uh, but we also went really in-depth about our top four hopes and uh, you know the future of Maurizio Sarri. Um, and in part two... Uh, you know, we obviously talk about the Twitter questions, Everton preview. Make sure you guys go check out part one. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. You can also check us out. Uh, you can also check out Andres's uh, Twitter page. Um, Andres, if you want to shout out your your YouTube channel as well that you've got up and running. Um, but yeah, I mean, take it away. Yeah, follow me at SS Blues underscore CFC. Um, the guys do a great job of tagging me whenever we start a pod and vice versa. So yeah. Um, Seamus, if I said something this week that you want to debate about, come talk to me. Um, I'd, I'd love to just talk some football, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, let's hope we get two, two wins and get back into it this week. Uh, yes, let's please God, let's get two wins. Um, but yeah, I mean, that brings us to the end of this week's pod. Again, make sure you follow us. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think about the show. We're available on almost all third-party apps. We're also on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud as well. Check out our Twitter. All that good stuff. I'm going to stop promoting because I feel like I'm talking too much. Until next week, keep the blue flag flying high.